Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. If you would open up your Bibles or your devices to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20, This morning, we're going to look at just one verse as we study the second commandment. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. The Lord giving Israel the Ten Commandments through his prophet Moses said this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is the word of your God. Let's pray. Lord God, you are the great I am, and you have so blessed us by giving us your name. Your name tells us about who you are. You are a God of love, a God of mercy, and a God of grace. Thank you for all of the blessings that you give us in your name, that you give us through your name. We ask for your forgiveness for the times where where we despise it. And Lord, this morning, as we speak your truth, which is your name, we ask that our meditation on your words please you, and these words, not mine, be a blessing to all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was one very, very hot afternoon earlier this summer. I got done with work and decided that I was going to take my boys to our neighborhood swimming pool. One of their favorite things to do when they get there is to play with the other kids in the kiddie pool, in the shallow end, and they get to meet what they call new friends which means I get to hang out with these kids' other parents and make small talk with what I call complete strangers. I'm joking, it's actually a very fun way to get to meet your neighbors, to get to know them. But on this particular very hot afternoon, it was getting rather late when one of the parents who was sitting next to me and I was talking with looked at my watch and said, excuse me, do you have the time? I looked at my watch I said the time to my new friend. And that's when they said something that I cannot believe that I'm going to repeat in church. But I must, for the sake of this sermon and the story. I looked at my watch and said, it's it's 5.30. And this parent, in utter shock, said, oh my God. God. That's when things went from bad to worse. Because my son, who is playing with this parent's child right in front of us, stopped immediately what he was doing, looked at this parent, and said, um, excuse me, we say, oh my goodness, and then turned and went right back to playing. It's about a month later, and I'm still not sure that I have my emotions sorted out about this. I I don't know if I'm more embarrassed that my child corrected this parent, or if I'm more proud 
that they learned, that they've learned the second commandment lesson that I and my wife have been trying to teach them. You know, I used to think that I kept the second commandment very well. My parents taught me the same lesson that, that I hope that I'm teaching my children, that when you're mad, you don't say Jesus Christ. You say Jeepers Creepers. That when you're frustrated, you don't say God. You say, gosh. And most of all, you don't say, God darn it, or something worse. You don't misuse God's name in that way. And I used to think, I used to think that as long as I didn't use that, as long as I didn't express God's name when I was feeling negative emotions, that I was keeping this commandment very well. In fact, almost perfectly. But is keeping the second commandment really that simple? I wish it was. This morning, as we examine this verse and study the second commandment, I must warn you, this is going to expose you. It's going to expose all of us and the ways that we break this commandment. Specifically, we're going to look at four ways that people break the second commandment. I must warn you, it will expose you. It might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that's the bad news. But there is good news. So just wait and and hold on. Because while this will expose you, I, I also pray that this sermon will encourage you. Because what God gives us in the second commandment is something that is truly an amazing gift of God's grace. God gives us himself. When he gives us his name, he gives us everything about who he is and what he does. He gives us his love. He gives us his mercy. He gives us his joy and forgiveness. We're calling this week the guardian of words. And before we get into it, I need to tell you why God cares so much about your words. We read it earlier. Jesus himself tells us it's It's because our words, they are inseparably linked to what's in our heart. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The reason the second commandment is is so important to understand is because at the end of the day, the bottom line God wants your heart. Through his cross, he has reclaimed and redeemed your heart. Through the waters of your baptism, he has purified your heart. And through his word, every time you hear it, what God's spirit is doing is working through it to transform your heart. That's what this commandment is all about. But first, we're going to look at four ways that people break this commandment that maybe we don't always think of at first glance. Here's the first one. If you're following along in your worship guides, here's the first fill in the blanks, that you misuse the name of the Lord your God whenever you praise and proclaim God's name less because God's blessings are endless. 
What this command is getting at is this. It's not only a do not misuse God's name, but do use God's name. Do use it for good. In other words, what we're talking about in this commandment is what Bible students call sins of commission and sins of omission. What is that? Well, sins of commission are are sins that you commit. If you were to commit a murder or commit a theft, that is a sin of commission. But a sin of omission, sins that are often overlooked, are sins of things you fail to do or omit to do. It's not loving your neighbor when you have the opportunity to do so. It's not praising and proclaiming God's name when you had the opportunity to do so. That's what the second commandment is about. People often say less is more, but not so with the second commandment. More is more. And proclaiming God's name more, praising God's name more, is what this commandment is getting at. It's stated negatively. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But the positive flip side of that coin is, are you using God's name to praise him for the endless blessings that he's bestowed upon you this very day? The fact that all of you got up this morning and got to breathe the breath of life, that you had clothes to cover your body, a roof over your head, a car that brought you here, beautiful weather outside. This commandment is getting you to pause and look at the details of God's provision and ask you, does this translate into endless praise for God's endless blessings? What this commandment is getting us to do is pause and not only look at the details of God's provision, but the enormity of his salvation and seeing all the ways that God's full and free gift of salvation affects every aspect of our lives. Do you praise and proclaim God's name with every opportunity that you have to do so? When you don't, you misuse the name of the Lord your God. You do not use his name for that which he's given you his name. That's how demanding this commandment is. So how are you doing after just number one. Here's number two. Number two is this. You misuse the name of the Lord your God whenever you give credit where credit is not due. All of us want credit. All of us want respect. All of us want esteem that is to be recognized for the, whatever it is that you want to be recognized. We all want people to know how smart, funny, pretty, hardworking, kind, and generous we are. It's ingrained in human psyche. We crave it. We do things to seek it out. We want credit. And when we don't give credit to God, but we direct it towards ourselves, we break this commandment. This past week, a friend told me a story that highlights just how easy it is to break the commandments in this way. 
It's a personal story, a personal confession, and he's given me permission to share it with all of you. My friend is a gifted athlete and a runner. He has legs that look like they're just like made to run. He's 6'3". I've never seen someone eat so much ice cream, and yet he is always lean, and this past week he won a race. I tell you all this because on top of that, he regularly goes to donate plasma. And because he is a physical specimen, he is able to donate plasma much faster than your average human being. A friend told me that recently he went to go donate plasma, and there he's sticking, sitting with the needle sticking in his arm, and he noticed he's already done. He's already filled up the amount of plasma that one person can give for the day. And as he looks around the room, he noticed he gave plasma so much faster than all the other good-for-nothing plasma donors that got up and got there earlier before him. And he's starting to think to, my, to himself that, man, why don't they just hydrate? Everyone knows that if you hydrate, you can give so much faster. Why didn't they just do the simple thing? I wonder if other people recognize that I've given so much faster than them. And then the nurse walks over and does it gives him the credit that he was looking for. She says, man, you gave plasma so quickly. I've never seen someone give plasma so much faster than that. And what does he do? He starts talking about all the reasons why he thinks it is that he gives plasma so much faster. He gets up from the table, walks out the door, head barely able to fit out the door when it hits him. Here I am coming to do a a good deed, giving my plasma so that others can be more healthy. And I end up sinning. I end up sinning against the second commandment because the pride monster, the credit monster, reared its ugly head and it gave in. You want to know the scary thing about breaking the second commandment in this way? It's that you don't ever have to speak a single word. No one has to know about it. It goes on inside your own head as you talk to yourself. You can misuse the name of the Lord your God. The other frightening thing about breaking the commandment in this way, well, it usually happens when everything is going well in life. Of course, we take credit for the good things that go on in our life. And so it might be strange to think about, but perhaps the most trying times in a Christian's life are the good times. Do you look to God? Do you give credit to God even during the good times? Which brings us to number three. Number three says, you misuse the name of the Lord your God whenever you call on, the name, on God's name when suffering, but do it with negotiating. You misuse God's name when you call on it while you're suffering, but you do so with negotiating. One of the most amazing blessings and promises that God gives in all of his word are his words in Psalm 50 verse 15. There the Lord says, 
call on me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. Think about that promise. God says, in the days when you are distressed, in the days where you are stuck, in the days where you feel like you are a sinking ship, call on me. Call on me and I will help you. I'm promising this. I will deliver you. And when you do that, by virtue of you using my name in that way, you're going to keep the second commandment. And I will deliver you and you will honor me. Think about what is packed into that promise. Think about the power that is in God's name when you use it, when you call to it. He helps you. So then you think about all the ways that you misuse his name. You simply don't call on him when you're in trouble. Instead, you pick up a phone and phone a friend before you ever think about praying to the Father. When times are hard and you're suffering, you turn to food before you turn to the Father. You don't ask God to help. Instead, you just pick up your phone and ask Google to help. And that's if you call on him or if you don't. But at sometimes we do call on him and yet we don't even trust his promise. We don't actually believe this promise that he speaks here in the Psalms and elsewhere in scripture, that I will be with you always, that I will work things out for the good of those who love me. I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I will deliver you. We say, no, God, I'll call on your name, but uh, let's make a deal. We say, God, I'm going to promise that I'm going to give my life more to you, that I'm going to, I'm going to dedicate myself more courageously to your will if you just help me out here. God, I promise I'm going to stop doing X and start doing Y if you please just take care of Z. We say, Lord, person A is kind of causing a problem in my life. I don't want you to harm them, but, but please just get rid of person A and I promise I'm going to start loving person B and C a whole lot more. Think about your prayers. Think about your heart towards God. Bartering with God is not calling on God. As the hymn goes, nothing, nothing in my hands I bring it's simply to Jesus' cross that we cling. We have nothing to barter with, nothing to negotiate with. We have no leverage, and that's okay. People think that God helps those who help themselves. That's not true. The reality is that God helps those who realize they are utterly helpless. And take that a step further. He helps those who don't even realize how helpless we are. That is God's promise, that just call on my name and I will, no, not make a deal with you and then help you. No, call on my name and I will deliver you and you will honor me. But how often don't we take advantage of that wonderful promise, that blessing that God gives us? It's the third way that we misuse the name of the Lord your God. Here is the fourth and the final way, although I suspect 
we could probably think of a few more ways. Number four is this. You misuse the name of the Lord your God whenever you speak Christianish when it's convenient. A friend of mine in high school was not born in America. He was born in a foreign country and, and therefore English was not his first language. However, he spoke English very, very well. He was incredibly bright and got a 4.0 GPA. But perhaps he was too smart for his own good. Because although he spoke English absolutely perfectly and understood it perfectly, whenever a coach asked him to do something that he didn't want to do, whenever a dorm supervisor caught him doing something that he shouldn't do, this young man who would go on to get several academic scholarships, full rides to top universities, well, he'd all of a sudden act as though he didn't understand. And on top of that, he wasn't able to converse in English. I love my friend very much, and I know that my friend loves Jesus, but he was pretending. He was being a hypocrite. And sadly, Christians play that same card. Parents, you do this, we do this, whenever we confess that, that God is a God of love, that he is the prodigal father who, who welcomes his sinning children back with open arms, and he is a God of full of mercy. And yet, when parenting gets tough, well, it's more convenient to, to try to parent our children with guilt and shame and control them with fear. It's speaking a language that is different than the language of Scripture. You do this whenever you see a headline or read something about how this culture we live in is not living in line with God's Word. You think, you know what? I'm going to go to war. I'm going to go to battle to, to stand up for God's holy name. But as you contend for God's holy name, you do so with a merciless tone. You fend for the glory of God in an inglorious way. And as you do so, you, you speak a language that is really foreign to scripture. And that's if you do stand up for God's word. That's if you do proclaim his name. The other time, the other way that we, we sin against the second commandment is, is when we act as though we, we can't speak the language of the Christian faith at all. All of you can speak it quite well. Whenever we gather here on Sundays, whenever you gather in your groups, you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that you recognize salvation is a gift of his grace. The faith that you have is, is from him alone, that, that he is the number one giver of every good gift and everything comes from him. Therefore, we honor him with all of our lives. Oh, but at the workplace, to my neighbor, you want, me to, you want me to say his name? No, that, 
that might, that might cost me some business. That might ruin the reputation I have with my neighbor. Christian Americans are the first to stand up for their freedom of religion, freedom of speech. But then when it comes to talking about other freedoms that might be too personal, too political, too polarizing, ah, we probably shouldn't talk about that. What would God say to the person who seemingly does everything right, goes to church, helps start a church, gives their tithes and their offerings and their time to church, but then when it comes to standing up for the glory and the honor of God, is more concerned about the glory and the honor of their name. The second commandment reads this, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And God is so serious about this, he attaches a promise or a threat to it that the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I used to think that I kept it pretty well. In fact, I used to think just because I didn't say, oh my God, I kept it pretty perfectly. Walk through those four ways that people typically break the second commandment. We don't praise and proclaim God's name, even though his blessings are endless. We seek credit from God and therefore discredit God. We don't call on his name when we're suffering, or when we do, we do it with our little negotiations. And we only speak the language of Christian love when it's convenient for us. It's pretty clear that, that even on our best days, we don't keep the second commandment. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. At every single point, at every single point, these four and, and many more that we could count up, at every single point that you have not kept this commandment, Jesus has kept it for you. Just think about Jesus' life for one moment. You do not keep the second commandment by the way you do not praise and proclaim God's name endlessly. Look at the life of Jesus. He took every opportunity to give praise and thanks to God, even though he was God. At his baptism in Luke 3, what does he do? He prays praises to God. In John chapter 8, when people came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Jesus, who are you are? Tell us, tell us about yourself. He said, I have come down from heaven. And what does he do? He points not to himself, but to God. Not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. In Luke chapter 10, when things were going exceedingly well for Jesus and his new disciples in ministry, they were smashing it. Things were a success. And Jesus' disciples came back and reported to him all the success that they were having in ministry. What does Jesus say? All right, it's my time. My kingdom's here, guys. Let's do this. No. Jesus takes the opportunity to give endless praise and thanks to God, 
This is what Jesus said. He said, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't rejoice at what you're doing. Give praise to God for what he has done. He's written your name in the book of life. And then this is the very next verse. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus did not stop giving praise to God and proclaiming the name of God. And then when you and I seek credit from God when it's owed to him, the one who deserves all credit even reflected it back to the Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus offers up a prayer the night before he dies for the sins of the world. After Jesus had done everything that the Lord had commanded of him except die and rise. And he already knew he was going to do that. This is the prayer he offers up. You tell me what is on his mind the night before he does the one thing that saves us all. It's giving credit to God. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. The one who was God would not even take the credit that God deserved, but always reflected it, always gave credit to the one true God. This is what your God did throughout his life. But listen to this. Jesus did not only take the second commandment and keep it perfectly for you to just give you an example. No, he didn't just give you an example. He also took away your sins. And he did that even as he kept the second commandment. While you and I misuse the name of the Lord, your God, whenever you call on God's name with suffering and we throw in our negotiating, Friends, remember you have a savior. You have a savior who suffered for you and he did it willingly without trying to make a deal with God. During that same evening where Jesus was praying to his God, he prayed about the suffering that was coming and he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours. Jesus didn't try to make a deal with God. He took it all so that he could deal with your sin. Jesus didn't try to exchange some kind of deal or some kind of plan with God so he could get out of this. No, he went forward with it so he could exchange his holiness for your sins. And it wasn't easy. Well, you and I only speak the language of Christian love often when it's convenient Jesus spoke, well, the language of Christ-like love when it was most difficult. When all of the violence and all of the vile of human race was pressing down on him on the cross, he still spoke love and forgiveness. This is Luke chapter 23. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And they divide up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching 
And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Think about that. As people broke the second commandment to God's face, as he hung on the cross for our sins of breaking the second commandment, he still spoke words of life and words of forgiveness. This is radical, but this is the gospel. The foundation of Christianity is not simply copying every move that Jesus made, looking at how he kept the second commandment, and now we try to copy it and keep the second commandment also. No, the gospel is this, that for every bad move we've made, every bad word we've spoken, Jesus has assumed that sin He's taken it upon himself on the cross and he's given you forgiveness. You and I are not saved apart from the law. We are saved by Jesus Christ coming and fulfilling the law for us and taking on the punishment that we deserve. God was not lying. He was dead serious when he said he will not let anyone go guiltless who breaks this commandment. And so he had to punish sin somewhere and he punished it in Jesus Christ. What you see in the gospel, what you see on the cross is the law giver becoming the law keeper so that he might save you and I, the lawbreakers. That's what the second commandment is all about. It is about the name of the one and the one alone who could do that for us and did it. The second commandment is to remind us of God's name, your God of grace. That's what names do, don't they? A simple name can can conjure up everything that we know about a person or everything that we think of when we think of a person, right? To prove that to you, I thought I'd wrap up by playing a little game, a name association game. I'm going to say a name, and I just want to give you a few seconds to note the first thoughts that come to mind about the individual I name. Three rounds, ready? Round one, Abraham Lincoln. Here's the second one, round two. Taylor Swift. Are you ready for round number three? God. What the second commandment is pointing us to is not sounds that the letters G-O-D make when we string them together in a sentence. What the second commandment is doing is serving as a signpost that points us to everything that we know about God, everything that God has revealed to us through his names, that he is a God of grace whose blessings are endless, that he is a God who who not only deserves all credit, but the God we want to give all credit Two, because he who did not spare his own son, he he gives us everything. Therefore, we give him all credit. We give him all praise. What do you think of when when you hear God's name? Well, it's a suffering lamb, 
the Lamb of God who, who took away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God who before Asherah's was silent and, and didn't try to negotiate his way out of the sacrifice that he made for you, but willingly took on all your sins and gave you all his holiness, that a God, a God who did all that, died and rose again, and now sits next to the Father interceding for you and doesn't just speak the language of Christ-like love when it's convenient. No, all the time he is there for you, speaking his words of promise, words of love, reminding you that he is yours and you are his and your heart that he wants more than anything else. He made his throne through the waters of baptism, through the word that you have heard, through the sacrament we get to celebrate. May God grant for Jesus' sake that his name raises up in our hearts and in our mouths all of the good and gracious things that our guardian God has kept for us. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.